The Agora podcast is covered by a BIPCOT no-gov license. Use and reuse is free and encouraged by anyone except governments or their agents. Find out more at BIPCOT.org. operation of the machine becomes so odious makes you so sick at heart that you can't take part you can't even passively take part and you've got to put your bodies upon the gears and upon the wheels upon the levers by all the apparatus and you've got to make it stop you were born free you got fucked out of half of it you wave a flag celebrate <laughs> Central authority has just embedded right in it uh, its own problem, and that is that it means a few people make decisions for many people. guys welcome back to the agora podcast it's your home for agorism radical decentralization localism and anti-authoritarian concepts i'm penguin um doing my usual intro and i've got a few announcements for you um so it might have been uh coming off as uh you know putting out a little bit less content but um we're about to and i guess if you're actually listening to this you probably this is probably be something in the past since we've released uh quite a bit of uh content all at once so sorry i dumped that on you guys but uh we're really thankful for your listenership and your support and um that kind of goes into what sec has to say um sec, you have some announcements yeah a couple of announcements um number one check out our patreon um agora the podcast on patreon it's the links are in yes. uh, in all of our um, social media you can find them um, I've been doing a series on yeah, homesteading, I guess, uh, more broadly. I've been doing a, a series of short episodes on there. They're, you know, about 15, 20 minutes long, um, sort of an introduction to homesteading and um, DIY kind of stuff. Um, so that's been pretty fun. Uh, the patrons have, patrons have been enjoying those quite a bit. Um, and a lot of information on there as I've been doing this longer than I care to admit. Um, second announcement is, and I, I already announced this once, um, my lady, um, uh, she goes by resonance and Ray, a friend of the show are doing a podcast together called let's make some shit. And essentially their, um, whole thing is uh, uh they're they're shorter episodes and it's very much a height how to um do it yourself you know x y or z um 
projects, like uh, stuff that you can do at home, how to do it, things that they've done, some pitfalls that they've run into. Um, and it's it should be a really cool thing. They've already recorded a couple of episodes, and they should be releasing um, the, releasing one uh, here coming up in the next couple of weeks. Um, but I actually look forward to that. It sounds like a cool thing. Um, and it's, it's sort of a step-by-step how to, um, do lots of different things, you know, tinctures, how to make your own booze, brew your own beer, how to do med, uh, make your own medicine, how to do first aid and just very practical, um, skills and, uh, know-how. So, uh, look forward to that and I'll be announcing those as they, um, get released and that kind of thing. Um, there was something else that I can't remember, and um, I'll probably remember it after we stop recording. So um, today we're going to talk about, it's just me and Penguin, and we're going to talk about a, a couple of related topics. Um, our regular listeners are should be familiar with uh, the book, uh, the pair of books by Carl Hess called uh community technology and neighborhood power which we've promoted at this point it's probably a drinking game for the amount of times that we bring it up in episodes but we wanted to uh sort of compare this to um Konkin strategy of community i'm uh, sorry of um counter uh, economics and you know how we can apply these things in um to benefit people and uh, provide more freedom for ourselves in the current present, that sort of thing. Um, so do you have any thoughts on that before we get rocking and rolling into it? Penguin? No, not really. Um, yeah, I think that's, that's a really like fruitful discussion. So it's kind of like some things that I've had on my mind in the background that um, I'm glad we have an opportunity because it's kind of unplanned, but like have an opportunity to talk about yeah, this was kind of last minute. We didn't really plan this uh, um, ahead of time. We had a um, a guest that had to reschedule. Um, but I think this is something that should be talked about, actually, um, or at least would be useful. So for anyone who has not, anyone listening to this podcast, I would assume has read Konkin and Carl Hess. But for the odd chance that they haven't, it is my understanding that the the premise and the fundamental basis of community technology and neighborhood power is to um, is the fact that reimagining and restructuring our our relationship, we as people, our relationship with production so that it exists on a more local scale and we have more control over it and the system ends up being more responsive to our wants and needs and that most um and also that so that production and technology serve us as opposed to serving large centralized systems and institutions and people in power and that most things can exist uh, most things can exist and, and be produced on a local level 
uh, whether that be, um, you know, if you're in the city, you know, a neighborhood sized, um, you know, population, most things could be produced sort of in-house and most decisions could be made sort of in-house. Um, in, the, in a rural setting, it could be very similar. It could be this one road or this couple of houses or you and your couple of neighbors. It, it's very easily can be translated to um, rural conditions. So this is somewhat of a materialist. Um, hey, Alsec here. I wanted to tell you about agoristacres.com. They're a seed company, uh, friends of the show. Uh, this is where I get my seeds from uh, here at the homestead. Um, they've got a lot, a big, wide variety of seeds. Um, they got free shipping on orders over uh, 20 bucks. It's fast shipping. Um, if you place an order, it'll be shipped next business day. A lot of cool packaging. And you can pay with uh, crypto right on the site. Um, and they're they're agorists, and uh, they also believe in the the importance of producing your own food. Um, and um, they have a wide variety of seeds that you won't necessarily find in a lot of other places. A lot of cool varieties, interesting um, seeds, and they can if there's something that you're looking for, they can probably get it for you too. So. Um, Check out agoristacres.com, and if you use promo code uh, Agora10, uh, you'll save yourself 10%. Thanks, guys. Bye. Philosophy, in the sense that Hess believed that this would provide the material base for a free society. So it's shifting from being a consumer and existing at the mercy of corporations and large institutions and large systems to becoming more of a producer and to decentralize production. Um, would you agree that that is the, a good summary of those two books? Yeah, it's really good. And it's definitely what I agree with. So it's like the, um, it's the way I approach the kind of, uh, freedom oriented categories of you know political philosophy or political economy um well both of those i mean we're, we're kind of talking about political economy here but in, in terms of uh, politics that's the the libertarian or freedom oriented types of deals that's where i kind of focus is the like the, the material um freedom so it's not like strictly when people say economic freedom versus other sorts of freedom i don't know those are, they they kind of categorize things um poorly but in terms of actually having a um, material ability to, um, you know, pr project your own interest in, in, in transacting mutually beneficial transactions with others and um, have it be kind of uh, sustainable and from the ground up. I mean, that's that requires that material base that I think has us really talking about. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Um so to contrast this with, say, Konkin's work, Konkin primarily seemed focused on what I would say is a philosophical base as opposed to a material base in the sense that he wanted to shift from uh, 
involuntary interactions in production to voluntary interactions in production. And he was also concerned, uh, concerned with, you know, legal philosophy. So things that um, e existing outside of the legal framework of the state <clears throat> um, and, you know, activities and, and market um, interactions that exist outside of the um, state apparatus and state relations. And, and this is fine. I don't, I, it's, I don't think that these th two things are, are, are uh, contradictory to each other. I think it's just a matter of um, arriving at the same basic conclusion from a slightly different premise. So to, you know, to sum up, Kanken is looking at things from the, the basis of illegal versus legal and, or voluntary versus versus involuntary and i think hess took this a step further in in identifying that another major factor is producer versus consumer and so the the more the more you outsource production to others even on a voluntary basis the more you grant control over th aspects of your life to somebody else, right? Yeah. Um, and what I kind of like about these um, works is they're really written from a completely different perspective. So not that they're on the on a spectrum and they're they're looking at things in different directions, but they're really they don't overlap a lot, which means you can you can um, you can draw value from both from both sides from both authors. And there's not uh, there's not one thing. There's not a lot of redundancy. But also, there's they they just don't overlap. They're kind of talking about different things with kind of uh, different inspirations. So, I think they're more about they kind of complement each other that way. And how much how little they kind of have to do with each other, even though you can obviously like draw the same person and in in, in, in in the midst of the same project can draw on both, of course. Right, and, and in some ways, you so let's say we took Hess's advice. And me and my neighbors built a machine shop that existed to serve the neighborhood. And, you know, we also sold goods to people outside of the neighborhood. And we started building production on a local level. You could also make the, the, the argument that this is counter economics, right? So there, I mean, there's not overlap necessarily. I agree with what you're saying, that they exist parallel rather than, um, rather than like a divergence or a spectrum coming from the same source. But there, I think there is some slight overlap in the sense that um, you could still call this counter economics in some ways. Yeah, but they're parallels because so they'll never come into conflict or ever really even kind of talk about the same thing. I mean, they kind of come, maybe come close, in, in, but like really they complement each other because they're talking about different aspects of of this you know there's they're not going to be visiting but they're basically not going to be visiting the same um topics it's actually very interesting how like uh Konkin entirely focuses on like um subversive or in the dark activities or like you know at, at the very least disregarding like uh you know state authority and that's never comes it never seems to really come into the picture but with, with Hess, which has kind of more of a, um, I mean, you can say kind of more of a, like a community oriented, like, like left wing view, like we just communities just, 
uh, you know, again, all of these, all of these visions have, you know, miss a lot of missing pieces and how they would actually play out in reality. But the, the, the communities do come together and in, in mass kind of, um, localize and I don't know, radically transform, um, the larger political units to kind of bring about the kind of uh, reality that he imagines. So, you know, the progression is, which is not, I guess it's pretty important to Konkin's work. Um, the progression is also somewhat important, like Hess's work, how that actually would play out realistically. I, you know, I mean, these are maybe more fantastic examples of what we might see, or maybe even more, I don't know, um, idealized examples of how we would actually see maybe society transform in, in these ways in the sense that you might see this kind of goes back to our conversation with Kevin Carson. Like you might see some major economic shocks and shifts that have like negative consequences before these ideas kind of come up as like the antithesis or like the, you know, the, the solutions to certain problems that exist with, within shocks in the system. So, uh, yeah, it's actually amazing how little Hess even mentions the state at all. Yeah, yeah, which yeah. is something I've I've come to more appreciate. In the the more I go as an yeah, me as too anarchist, he mentions the state in uh, a little bit in the sense that, you know, as by establishing establishing facts on the ground like this, like building a completely separate structure of production and governance in your local area, how this might allow you to. Uh, put pressure on local governments or, you know, like uh, local existing state governments or supplant them entirely or anything like that. He mentions that a few times, but that's not really the same thing. He's not defining this as resistance to the state. And something, and I've been reading several philosophers, and this is kind of what sort of led me down this path, is like even we as anarchists, we often still define ourselves by our relationship to the state. Yes, so true. Right. So if you're a statist, you, you, you know, you've kind of merged your identity with the nation state. Um, so you define yourself in terms of, and that and informs a lot of your decisions as well. Um, due to in conjunction with your relationship with the state. But even as an anarchist, you're defining yourself as a person that is in resistance to the state, right? Like you are, it's the same thing as a status, but inverse, you know, like you're defining yourself as a rebellion against X, you know, much in the way is like, like Satanism is just Christianity inverted. You still accept all the same premises. You're just, yeah, I, I don't like reaction. Right, I don't like reaction. I don't like to. I don't like yeah. to form my idea about like around an idea that instead of an idea that I like, I don't idea that I don't like in my opposition to that. It seems to be like just you know, it, like you said, it seems to be an opposite version of the other thing, or like in opposition to the other thing. Right now, you're defining yourself. Now you, you're. That's a great way to put it. You're defining yourself as opposition in, in your opposition by what you're against right and i i listen i love samuel conkin and, and i i i've gotten so much value from his works over the years 
but in some ways Konkin also defines and it's ironic because this is a gore of the podcast right we're talking we're, we're i am certainly an, an agorist i love counter economics i find but one flaw i find and i didn't i didn't even come to this realization until a few years ago but it's he is also defining the philosophy in its by its opposite opposition to the state now you're still granting power to that entity by defining yourself by that which you're opposed to right it's like the old saying like it's you know um if you hate somebody they win right because now you're spending expending all this energy on this other person or organization or whatever the thing is um you know, it's eat, either it, hate just eats out your own soul and you're spending all that energy to hate that, uh, that other thing when really, so, you know, sort of the best revenge is to live well and forget about it. Right. So this is kind of, this kind of has brought us a little bit off topic or whatever, but I think it's relative in the sense that I think this, that's the same difference between Hess and Konkin and community technology. And no, I like it aggression is it doesn't define itself by that which it is against it defines itself as i mean i guess you could say it's against consumerism right but and centralization but it's more defining it itself as what it is in the material world yeah i'm not really um big on the the anarchist label or even really yeah for exactly those reasons so like uh, um that's actually probably a whole different discussion, but at least in the terms of what we're talking about um, here in Hessen Konkin, like, um, and I'll give a defense of Konkin, even though I'm totally with you, but like, I'll give a defense of Konkin. Like, I think that what the things that he writes about might be totally legitimate in practice and in reality at some point. Like, you could definitely gain, like, some of the things that he's describing, you might see shades or very real examples of exactly like counter counter economy um i mean you do it's a real thing it exists but like you might see liberty progressing i guess you could say through um mass agorism or mass counter economics and ideas like this form not because a bunch of people read Conkin, probably even though i you know i think he'll always i think those works will always be around but i think uh i think there's going to be countless times where like his works would be of actual benefit so like totally in defense of him there i think there's practical benefit to his, his works but like hess is more um hess is not really using the the terminology of like um anarchism and he's not really talking about i'm sure he talks about liberty i'm sure he's talking about this and that but he's really talking about a, a material philosophy uh, material um, materially framework. based philosophy yeah. yeah framework a framework of um positive prescriptions and like organizational tendencies and i think that's really kind of valuable so that's what i kind of define myself as what, what what i'm in favor of what do i talk about what do you talk about in your podcast well i don't really talk about like i hate the government or i want to fight the government or um you know what i mean um that's not even remotely what i consider my ideas to be about um and I, we don't talk about that, but we, what we do talk about is kind of organizational principles and um, 
being able to resist actual you know impositions of course or, or like or like frameworks that are that have put us in a very frameworks that are very different that put us in a very like centralized corporate hierarchical um structure based around um based around i don't know if you want to define it to like class differences or based upon um the excuse me based upon uh being backed by state power there's various different ways to look at it but like i define it as like the organizational principles and the uh practices and the, the free exchange and free economic practices that we um what's the word prescribe not just this thing that we want we want to just shout our rage at, at, at institutions because people can do that all the time and do do that all the time and it wouldn't we it wouldn't specialize us as anything but a, a voice out there and like the um the cacophony yeah, somebody else screaming into the void right yeah, it would exactly would be a piece screaming into the void. Absolutely. Right. And in the end, like, what is that? What does that solve? Right. I mean, you can scream how much you hate the state. And I do. But um, if that's all, all I define myself as, I would just it would be such a waste of my life. You know, like, I, I don't know. It just seems like it's like banging your head against the wall. You know, okay, but why why do we why do we oppose the state? Why do why do we oppose like the policies of of the, of the government in general, or just governments or, or state that government? And actually, the state as a larger entity, which we often describe like as a larger and broader entity than obviously state government. And because I think government can exist without state, state can without state not so without government, but state is composed of much more things than the government i should say sure yeah but like yeah so sorry i lost my train of thought there um, you're asking me why do we oppose the state yeah why do and we oppose the state we, so, we must there must be some vision some idea of like something that we would we would want instead and doesn't have to be necessarily a like a very specific a very specific um very structured framework but it has to be something that we want in instead you know Right. So philosophically, my views have somewhat changed over the years. And my, if you had to put a label on things, my views metaphysically and philosophically around morality, I've been leaning more towards like uh, Sternerite egoism or nihilism or absurdism so i don't have i don't believe that a moral justification for my opposition to the state is necessary nor do i think it matters but what i can say is that i would prefer to live in a world where more as many humans as possible can express their individual agency and autonomy and have freedom to the greatest extent possible and the most amount of choices and options possible. And I do not believe that this is possible with a centralized state or a state at all. And also I, I want to do what I want is the other you know at a, in a very selfish sense i want to do whatever i want to do um and i'm i 
can't do a lot of things because the state has restricted um, either outright legally and directly or uh, by eliminating choices through intervention in the market has restricted my ability to express my autonomy in a lot of ways. So for a very selfish reason, I that's just what I the kind of world I want to live in. Now, it's not going to happen in my lifetime. And I'm completely okay with that. But um, I think that I can build more freedom and autonomy in my own life and that this will also build the foundations for future generations to um, hopefully, uh, you know, build a a society that is uh, more beneficial to the human condition. That is the, the a very practical conse- sort of consequential consequentialist um, reasons for for wanting to abolish the state. For me, yeah, I agree with a lot of that. Um, I agree with a lot of that. Like um, agency maximization, I think that's a really good argument. So I think people, I think treating people as like moral and economic agents. So a real individualism, and you know, I. I, I hate when people trash individualism because I, I think they're talking, I think people are often talking past each other, but treating human beings as uh, moral and economic agents to, able to make these choices. And there are better choices and worse choices in the world in general. It's not all up to just the the, the market as the invisible hand of the market, but there is, in my opinion, but there there is a real actual value. So in economic terms, there's a real value in, in like people making, having increased economic agencies. So the more people that are doing things, the more information is is generated and the more people are able to like better exchange with each, with each other freely and without this artificial scarcity that we talk about and without being able to form like these anti-market ideas whether it's it's you know uh, the, the neo-mercantilist capitalists or it's the the socialists or social democrats that want to centralize um economic activity and, and government programs and nationalize or whatever you know and i think similarly uh with with moral agency i think there's there's a benefit with, with people actually having real moral agency um but it doesn't have the same kind of framework of like generating information. But I think, you know, to, to an extent, I, I think that I, I think it's locked that said that um, you can't, you know, basically you can't instill morality with punishment. And you certainly can foment a lot of immorality through um, the course of institutions of the state when you have people that are basically above the uh, the rule of law, the rule of the common law, the rule of the, of the, the rules that basically um, apply to the majority of the population. So for various reasons, I think that agency idea, that agency idea is really good. And I think large institutions, but especially the very large ones like nations, governments, and those kind of, yeah, like, like, yeah, but the really, the the really highest level institutions that we all have to, you know, play our part and be part of it in the higher up you go there, like the more we have to subvert our individual preferences and wills and desires and what's best for us in our own lives in order to contribute to that project, whether the project is of the nation or the basically yeah, the nation state or the city or the city, a city state or a, 
a corporation is another good example. Like each individual, each individual employee is basically working, um, you know, to sell on some level for their benefit or they wouldn't be there, but they wouldn't, they're working towards the, basically the betterment of the company and then returns for shareholders or, or reinvestment or whatnot. So it's like all these large institutions and they are pro products of basically the same overall force. They exist, they exist as not bottom up, not holistic uh, institutions where you basically sub subvert the preferences, the will, and the overall what what's overall best for the flourishing lives of individual people. And I think that people have a natural desire not to have that. And that's something that that's something that's not spoken to by a lot of libertarianism. That the idea that there there are there are institutions. Um, I mean, you know, the kind of people that we talk to, notwithstanding, like, but the majority of, of modern day libertarians that are are more concerned with like uh, the Bill of Rights and the gov government overreach and taxation and stuff, and not saying, well, why, why, why are these things in positions on our agency, and what is the connection between the state and organizations that are not explicitly government? Because uh, right, right. Mo most of our most of our feelings in this direction apply to organizations that are not explicitly the government. Right. Um, you know, corporations can um, and uh, private entities, individuals even can, um, you know, suck out your soul and trample your autonomy and agency just as much as the government can. And I think the reason some libertarians are sort of knee-jerk defensive of that is because they see these private companies um, as, as in opposition to the state. And also, like, theoretically speaking, they think that, um, you know, private and private businesses, you know, in a free market would um, compete and the consumer would be supreme in that situation. And they transpose that onto this current system that we have now. And we've talked about this before in the sense that they're taking their theoretical framework for a libertarian society that doesn't exist yet and applying those same same parameters same criticisms uh same support um like so they say well we should support you know private business things should be run privately in a free society and you know um businesses should be free to do x y or z thing and um you know these are voluntary interactions in a free society but then they transpose that onto our current society as if that that society already exists in so, somehow in some ways these uh these entities are not you know speaking specifically to corporations but it could be anyone i mean any individual has the um potential to um any ind any individual any institution um they they all have the potential to trample your agency and autonomy um what do i mean by that uh 
um, somebody could put a gun in my face tomorrow and take what I want. It just so happens that larger institutions just have more of a capacity to um, to squash your interest at the uh, to achieve their interest at the expense of yours. Um, so this is true for corporations. This is obviously true for the state. Um, and often those two things work hand in hand against us, uh, you know, whether we're the, the consumer, the individual, any of those things. So um, I, you're making the point that there isn't really a, a pri public private distinction in any real sense, at least in our current society. And I absolutely agree with that. Um, these are all just centralized institu institutions that exist to serve themselves and their interests at the expense of ours and expensive at the expense of people in their own organizations. Right. The, I mean, the, they come out of the same groups of people with the same yeah. ideas and, 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 you know, corporations, you can argue, Oh, could corporations arise? And this is, this is an older liber. I mean, really, you're not seeing a lot of these libertarians around too much anymore, I think, but you, but let's just say the argument of like, quote unquote free market capitalism that would say like uh, corporations could arise without you know the state but they didn't in fact in reality they're something that was that was created by the state to do large economic projects and they the consequentially they were they've had the effect of um you know benefiting those that are in with state in with the state and the state's privileges exactly right um it was very much mirrored um mirrored off the state and exactly what you said it, they were a, a state creation in the first place and you know i've heard people make that case and i don't know why how we got onto corporations but i've heard people make the case that yeah well you could you know you could create some sort of limited liability organization and um etc in a, a free market and sure but what you're talking about at that point is you're just talking about buying insurance for your business, right? Like that, that is not all a corporation is a corporation is a, a state grant, uh, granted legal fiction. You're, you're creating a legal entity that exists outside of any of the individuals involved. And the costs of that, uh, liability, prote liability protection is socialized to the rest of us so we all pay for um that legal framework for the corporations to um to to uh exercise that uh liability protection uh protection and also we're talking about a form of business that is not necessarily I, I don't believe could exist in a free market and to what extent it would uh, is debatable but in the sense that you have multiple layers of bureaucracy that exist within side of these firms that I believe that diseconomies of scale in the calculation problem apply to um, and that in a free market, they would quickly it wouldn't be able to exist to the at least to the extent that the, uh, they do now, because the state sort of offsets the cost of doing business. And we've had this conversation before, but um that that corporate form is what that that is that 
layers of like, okay, you know, wor workers and then middle management and then bureaucracy and then more upper management in CEO and board of directors. That form, I do not, do not believe could exist in a free society. I just, I've read enough to where I'm not convinced that that could exist. Now you might say that, okay, you could buy some sort of legal, buy some sort of protection from liability. And that just sounds like insurance to me. Sure. Okay. You can buy insurance in a free society. That's fine. I'm not, but you're paying for it yourself. Do you know what I mean? So I, I, that's not, that's not what exists now at all. Um, it's not, not even remotely close in my opinion. Like I could, I, I have liability insurance right now on my business. I am not a corporation. You know what I mean? So it's like, I don't, I, I think they're trying to, um, equivocate two things that are not necessarily the same when they try to make that argument. Yeah, recently, um, I, as of like the last night, I believe I finished a, a podcast that you and I both listened to, um, kind of discussed, finally came around, had an episode very similar to this this one between you and, my, you and me, um, where they really kind of discussed a lot of these issues correctly and really... Uh, happy to hear some ideas that they were in line with the way way we think um so here's uh something that really popped out at me um from that discussion it's like okay the idea of the of, the, of a free market uh in free exchange and all that stuff that's that's all fine and good from the libertarians but that's not there's no natural state of like of free market economics um so there's that's on two bases so Basis. So one on the like on the historical basis, um, that just simply has not existed. That's not something because there hasn't just been this one thing. The private private yeah, the public private distinction isn't a real thing, um, and that hasn't historically existed, nor does it really exist today. But it certainly did not historically. So mar markets have never been free of the kind of forces that uh, you know at different stages historically governed society. Um, and free of intervention and free of, of, of anything that these, I think, like free market economics people um, would like to see the anarcho-capitalist or whatever. And for another thing, so it's not, that's not a, a natural state of being in the, in the world that actually exists where, where markets are able to, you know, exist mostly are completely like completely unconstrained by anything but market action um which i don't even think that's entirely realistic mostly mostly unconstrained sure but that's not a natural affair that's something that would have uh, that's a, that would be a radical project to bring about for that to occur that would be a radical project and a radical change to bring about they would look totally different than current reality and we've had this discussion before so to, to try to say that you would merely like deprogram cer uh, certain institutions that as if they're like recent innovations and then the, the natural state of affairs would, would fall into like free market like von mises free market capitalism that's i think i think false because that's not a natural state or like a state at rest without outside intervention and i don't think i think one thing a market all market is is outside in, intervention so i don't think there is a again a natural state or a state without 
intervention of some form. But if it were to be something along the lines of a totally free market where market processes take the take the lead in society, that's a radical shift from anything we've seen uh, previously. What do you mean it doesn't ex it can't exist without intervention? Well, I mean, I don't. It, it depends. What do you consider outside intervention? What do you consider outside intervention? Because all a market is is like forces intervening on each other. Oh, sure. Okay, yeah. I mean, I see what you're saying. You know, like, I, uh, like how does how does a market exist in a total vacuum of like what you might consider non-market action? Like, I'm because uh, people. I mean, now you're talking about like you're talking about you're basically talking about cooperation and compromise, right? So in the sense that, um, okay, so like this would be an intervention as you're defining it, right? So I want to sell you um, a jar of pickles for $10 and you don't want to buy them for uh, $10. So you um, say, I'll, I'll give you $5. We settle on six bucks, right? So in the sense that, there is no like i my perfect world would be me selling you pickles for ten dollars but i that's where my my subjective value meets yours and at that point you are interjecting and contradicting what i want to want to happen so we compromise that's a small microcosm of what i think you're saying um, and on the larger aggregate, I could see how you could call this like intervention in the sense that you have lots of different people trying to achieve their own subjective preferences. And then the, the um, what do you call it? Equilibrium sort of meets in the middle of all of these compromises. Well, what, what I'm saying is that like intervention can take the form of anything except that anything except like like price like negotiation and pricing behavior and, and and like the kind of the um anything but beyond supply and demand functions so people could do okay. all sorts of i mean so you could have a market where people are generally free to to exchange but you have all sorts of non-market actions like boycotts or protests or oh sure um, Mm -hmm. or, 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 you know, or, or moral prohibitions or religious prohibitions. And even if they're just generally agreed upon and, and there's not an overarching state that has the ability, but the, by brute force to, you know, enforce that. So, you know what I mean? So, so even, okay. e even like consumer uh, organizations, like, um, yes, like sort of quality assurance. And I mean, like um, these things already exist. Uh, it's not consumer electronics, mm -hmm. but. Um, there's a, uh, I know you're talking about. There's that. a cons yeah. There's a consumer organization that sort of like um, goes through different um, commodities and that kind of thing, and and you know and says how good or if this one's junk or you know um, I can't remember the name of it, but yeah, that those would those I guess you could call them non-market, right? But they're sort of market adjacent, and absolutely all kinds of stuff like that will exist. In the sense that um, a lot of organizations and um, factors and such that exist sort of outside of the cash nexus will absolutely exist and have effect on the market, on market forces. You're absolutely right about that. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, so basically any, any institution that doesn't have the ability to like brute, for, brute force things through um, through like a monopoly on violence, which I mean, the government even can't, can't brute force something that's 
unpopular enough, but it largely doesn't even have that. But something that's a social institution, anything that's not like price seeking behavior, I think, you know, is that or is that not an intervention? What is what even is a free market? And, you know, even if even if you have all sorts of robust social institutions, but the general ability to like freely exchange, you know, at, at what point is it like a, a totally free market? I'm actually kind of losing my Trying to thought here. I, I mean, I agree with. I, I agree with. I agree with what you're saying. At least your premise. I just don't know that I would call that an intervention per se, in the sense that I don't think it's like an outside force trying attempting to control, th usually through force, like in this the way the state would, right? Mm -hmm. So at this point, like you're just talking about sort of you're still kind of talking about it existing within the society itself and like people, um, people trying to persuade people to their preferences. Right. So, Great, like, but here's the thing, here's the thing, like to a statist, uh, to a status, right, yeah. yeah, to a status, to a normal political economy, a normal political economy absolutely is involves the state. The state is the, the you know, government, regulation is like plainly and, and like fiscal policy monetary policy all that stuff's like plainly part of the uh, uh political economy so you know this is kind of our view and it's a very radical view and it's not something that just gets defaulted to if right. you just leave things alone you know what i mean right 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 you no. have to create the idea of a free market as a project it doesn't just pop in out of nowhere well i mean what, that's what we're doing yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Right. Um, well, let's let's talk about some ways that I, I like the point you made. I don't know that I would call it an internet, but I, I understand exactly what you're saying. That there is more. There is more to how an anarchist society would work than just a free market, right? It, like, uh, and those other forces that are not necessarily market forces, or at least not um price mechanisms anyway um would have a great deal of effect on economic activity well, let me clarify sure. something where i'm coming from here is that i don't think that we're having you, you might you said an anarchist society i don't think we're gonna have a society made up of anarchists what we're, what we're really talking about is a society that's closer to anarchy so sure. i think we we're, we're not we're not we're not expecting purity, we're expecting the situation to be the situation that has arisen, you know? Right. So I think, yeah. exactly. So we, we can't, we, we can't expect it's, it's, that's an anarchism would be an ongoing project. We can't expect certainly, you know, pure anarchy, but certainly like a situation of anarchy, even if it's a, uh, sure, a, a post state society, we'll post state society. That's, that's yeah. much more closer to what I kind of imagine anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I don't think anybody, I don't think the all people will ever be philosophical anarchists, but I do believe that uh, post-state society is achievable, um, mostly mostly for practical reasons. Um, all right, so I something you said made me think of, you said we have to build, you know, we have to build this free market. And I would also say we have to build this free society. And this kind of goes back to Hess again in the sense that, you know, I'll, I'll use Israel and Palestine, right? So 
the 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 um the, the strategy Israel has used for the past I don't know 50 years or so is what they call establishing facts on the ground. So they keep annexing more and more property, stealing more and more from the um, the Palestinians and just throwing people out of homes and establishing more um, fact, or facts on the ground, like what actually exists on the ground. So that one day when they have to negotiate, um, and they have negotiated before, they already are negotiating from a position of, well, we have all this. We'll give you, you know, we have we have all of X, but we'll give you a little tiny piece of X and some of Y. But the reason they have that negotiating position is because they spent all this time slowly establishing facts on the ground. Now, fuck Israel, right? And I don't agree with like a violent means to do this. But we have to do the same thing in the sense that we have to start establishing facts on the ground. We have to start establishing the things that we want to exist now so that like we can't convince everybody first. Right. And then have it ex materialize. We have to have. We have to have built material conditions so that we have a negotiating position We're we're negotiating from a position of power. We have the ability to manifest our will. Um, all of us, I don't mean onto other people. I mean, we all as p human beings who want freedom have the ability to manifest our will and defend it. Um, and to, to call the terms, right? If we are able to produce our own things, within our when our within ourselves we have the ability to take care of each other for ourselves we have all of the, the ability to defend ourselves we have all of these things once we're at that point it it um we have the ability to dictate terms to the, those who would oppose that situation right we have we have bargaining power essentially to to and we have the foundations to build the society that we want to see so yeah, that's that starts small, though. Right. So that starts with. Community organizations that starts with. You know, small decentralized mutual aid networks and benefit societies that you could build right now. It starts with farmers markets. It starts with taking care of those that are less fortunate in your own communities. It starts with building your own stuff. It starts with producing more. It starts with getting to know your neighbors. You know, it, that that's all like where this, where this starts, right? That is like first steps. It's produce, you know, producing your own food. We've talked about this. It's building a parallel society from the ground up, but um, not just philosophically, not just, you know, trading amongst yourselves, but actually producing things and actually doing things yourself. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I, I certainly don't like. I, I certainly don't center opposition to the state um, in my philosophy these days, and because that's basically centering the state in in, in your philosophy and in, in your way of life. But I think one thing that makes total sense to me that isn't the same thing is basically. So I want to go out 
in the world and inter interact with my other fellow human beings and my neighbors without the state as like the default intermediary between all of us. And I think that's a, a, a pretty radical desire when you consider how things are actually, actually played out. And, um, it leads us to the many of the same conclusions, but it, it's, it's very simple as that is like the state is the intermediary or just the medium that, that all exchange is just has to default to. I mean, you can see that in, in terms of financial regulations, other things that have gotten people in trouble, but I mean, it's just in our, also in our like quotidian everyday lives, you know, it's, it's, that's the kind of world we live in and we are perfectly capable of us, of, of, not do, of doing things very differently. We're capable, capable of dealing with things mutually between each other without that intermediary. And we don't really actively choose that intermediary. It's just kind of there by default. Right, right. So we, we have to continue to sort of ignore it and do things how we would like to, to do them and how those we interact with would like to do them, right? Without, without even just without even really considering the state, right? Just, just do it. You know, there's a, um, nah, never mind. I'm not going to go into like Crowley magic, but you know, it's the idea of like, just go forth and manifest what you want to see, right? What you want to do, how you want to do it and how things, how you think things should be and just go, go ahead and do it. Like you're a religious person. So I, I assume that, you know, you have certain, um, you know, religious organizations and institutions and, and relations that help take care of, um, you know, people in the neighborhood or people within the church community or um, the, the mosque community that are uh, falling on hard times and that kind of thing. And this is very similar to like, um, in a lot of ways to like a fraternal mutual aid society. And if we can take care of each other, you know, we are, we are building that community that we would like to see. Now, maybe your thing isn't mutual aid and, and um, it's not charity or anything like that. Although I would, even if like, that's not your first priority, I would suggest building those sort of community institutions because they will be beneficial going forward and to also just to have those connections. But um, that's one like example of um, what was I going on? Just making, making your, uh, what you want to see a reality. Right. Or, you know, it, it could be, you know, I, I'm, I'm big on, I like to decentralize food production. I like to be in charge of my own food production. I grow a lot of my own food. But it could. This could also take. I've belonged to um, what they call community-supported agriculture um, before, in the sense that it's like a community garden, and you all, you know, sort of work a share and take a share um, back um, from the from the crops from the yield at the end of the the season, and this, you know, builds strong relationships and it helps you provide your own food and it builds a sense of community. And oftentimes it can be a way for those less fortunate to have a steady access to, you know, high quality produce. Um, I 
I mean, this could be a maker space too. I mean, you guys could, uh, or a community could rent a garage or space or buy one and, and just start um, getting some machines in there and start repairing bicycles and, and whatever else. It's like, it really depends on like what you and the people that are involved in a community like want to focus on. But it, all of these things have like, are not hard to do have immediate benefits and also uh like i said are building the foundations for what we want to see in the world if if we want a post-state society this is the route we must go there is no other way even if you think violence is is the answer these things must be done first right these are the foundations for which this is the the stone that you're laying down from which you can shoot from you know what i'm saying like it's like no matter what you think the strategy is this is still important to to build these facts on the ground right yeah i mean you have to make stuff human beings have to make stuff that's the that's the basis of what what we do as human beings and uh that's the basis of exchange that we do to make our lives better even beyond what we're capable of doing with our own two hands um so i think it's, it's good to look at things as i do from a mix of like public choice economics and a Marxist lens. And, uh, but uh, to really simplify things, cause, but that's generally how the lens I look, look towards, but I'm gonna really simplify things. The basically like the existing institutions as they've been set up and there's, there's no like public private distinctions. So just remember that that's, that's also really key here is that they're, they're formed they're So the, the rules of the road are written to benefit distinct groups or classes of people and it's not so simple by the way as like the marxist class theory or anything and i don't really specify what exactly the classes are except to say that like the, the monetary system is um and this was this goes back to the podcast i just listened to and it was a great explanation because um it's so hard to get into the weeds of this when you actually do and it's beyond my ability so i i, I really was so happy to hear this. Like the money, our, our money, the system, our system of money, instead of being like a union of account and exchange, it's a way for them to like create wealth and give it to themselves because they're the ones that wrote the rules of the road. Our property norms are written in a way to like guarantee profit to whoever are the holders of holders of property in a society. And those people are the people that you know that wrote the, wrote the rules. Of property norms which which have not been constant throughout history etc cetera, etc cetera, etc cetera. so like you know the rules of the the rules of society can be written in a way to benefit those who have the most ability to like write the rules of society or um and this was uh the example being given was like cryptocurrency and rewriting the rules of, of money and exchange is that they can be you know written from the ground up to you know, benefit society. And that's something that's so different from like some of the space around Bitcoin and like cryptocurrency and finance and stuff, because that's, that's so much of the old legacy mindset, but a lot of people in that space, a lot of crypto anarchists really do get it that this is just like, you know, as weird as it sounds to like historical currents of, left leftism and rightism like it's money for 
it's money for the people. It's money for like like society and for for societal society's benefit equally. All people in all society. And I think, you know, while while socialists have traditionally eschewed money, I don't think people could imagine imagine creating these institutions that are for that are for like mutual benefit and, and mutual like reciprocal exchange and mutually beneficial relations between society. Like they're all like I think it's always seen that there needs to be some sort of intermediary, whether it's the commune or the democratic order or the liberal democratic government or whether it's a monarchy or whatever. Um, but I, I think it's to say that you can have the rules written and I guess be sustainable for, for the benefit of like individual actors and with, with maximum agency, and in order based upon like mutually beneficial relationships and reciprocal trade, I think maybe that's something that we need a certain level of technology for to make it make it easier because we're not centralizing power. But uh, I think we can do that. Hey, Zach here. I wanted to introduce you guys to Appalachian Apothecary. That is, uh, that's my lady. Um, she makes boatload of tinctures, salves, um, medicines, um, some uh, libations, um, all, all very good, all from stuff we grew here at the homestead, um, and she knows what she's doing, she's a wizard, um, you, you may have heard her on the chemistry episode, but uh, if you're interested in any of that, um, go ahead and touch base with me um, at Megora on telegram s-e-k-m-c-g-o-r-a all one word all caps or you can find us in the uh, agora podcast discord telegram or find us on twitter at agora underscore pod thanks bye yeah um i like the way uh you worded that or or the podcaster you were listening to in the sense that cryptocurrency has allowed us to write our own rules um to benefit society but like also just us right like those who wish to engage in this particular space can write our own rules that benefit us in the space that we're involved in this applies to like outside of cryptocurrency also right like you know, the cryptocurrency is like the uh, probably the most clear cut example of that. But in the sense that we've been talking about, you know, you can build um, community organizations and local economies that exist that you can write your own rules for, too, on a, on a very local level. It's slightly different uh, than, say, cryptocurrency, but you could also include cryptocurrency in that um so you know on the one hand like you said before those with the ability to write the rules write the rules that benefit them right so what you're talking about there again is the their material base they have the material conditions those who are able to write the rules so you know the corporate class um the banking elite, um, people who are government adjacent, the greater state, as we've called it on this podcast, those 
they have the you know you could call it their relationship to the means of production but they have the material conditions that allow them to dictate the terms the um you know um the material conditions the machinery the the apparatus uh, that the economy and society functions they own it and they control it it answers to them and because of that they are allowed they are able to dictate the rules of society and the rules of conducting economic um, interactions so that those rules continue to benefit those with that control. So this is what we're talking about when we need to build a material base for the society which we want to see. We ha we have to rival these institutions on a smaller scale right so the more we build up our own material base the more it lessens their material base now this is kind of a marxist term maybe i can find you a, a an accurate definition but so uh, ah, never mind um basically it, it's what i just said the 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 capital and the the machinery and the resources to ben, uh, that prop up a certain uh, through which control of these prop up a certain class um again we marx defines the base as the social relations relations between men which create and produce materials that are eventually put up for exchange from the base comes a superstructure in which laws politics religion and literature legitimize the power of the social classes that fo are formed in the base so it's basically what i just said it's those material conditions and the control of those material conditions by a certain class allow them to write the rules and shape the rest of society yeah that's what we're saying that's yes, like that's central, exactly what we're saying. Is central to what you were saying before I even brought up Marx. I mean, this is right. what you were describing. Right. So now we may not be able to rival these institutions in size in the sense of like one centralized organization, but we can eat away at their material base and form our own on a very uh on a more decentralized and distributed uh, scale that that in um, that accumulatively could rival their economic power. So if if everyone started to become more of a producer than a consumer, and everyone started taking care of those within their own community and started building the mechanisms of production in their own communities on a small uh, and local scale this on the aggregate would rival the the economic power the material base of these large-scale institutions those that are writing the laws for our society so then you can write the rules for you yourself you can your community can write the rules for itself 
because it has the these the material basis and the power to do so right so all all the power to write these rules comes from those material conditions um and yes this is very marxist but i agree i agree very much with this in the sense that let me give you a, like a super microcosm of an example i'm self-employed i produce a lot of my own goods um I do a lot of side hustles that make me even more money. Um, I, if I need something for my farm, instead of just going to buy that thing, I'll buy, I'll either scavenge it or I will buy it in bulk, sell what I don't need so that I get what I needed for free. Um, let's see. I'm also very frugal. All of these things have allowed meet a certain amount of autonomy i there is there is less opportunity for someone else to dictate what i may or may not do except by brute force from the state but in, in general term sense in my day-to-day -day life very few people tell me what to do or when to do it i make a lot of my own decisions and i have a lot more leeway i make my own rules in a lot of ways um yes i exist in a society where the state ha is the overarching purveyor of violence and law but in most i i have far less is dictated to me than otherwise would be because i have changed the material conditions and created a material base on a very 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 small scale in my own life now just extrapolate that same those same concepts out to a community to a neighborhood to a uh, you know uh, a dirt road on in a in a rural area or you know it's a, a road on in a rural area an area a, a community in a, in a rural area um, and you have just sort of an interlocking network of these pockets to where now the there isn't the ability to dictate um to these people terms and conditions and rules they they are making their own because you have nothing you have very little to hold over them you know there, there's very little that can be held over my head except for death or jail right from the state but in terms of anything else i'm not beholden to very few people except for my family and my kids right so just extrapolate that out to community-wide and then you know region-wide and then it, it just expand that out from these very small pockets to to the point where we are more or less self-sufficient and autonomous as small groups of people but on the aggregate we rival these larger institutions in their uh ownership of material conditions yeah so this reminds me of like the de democracy of the marketplace or i don't know i, I think that's a way I've seen it described where you know you have democracy through your through your participation and exchange and and by having a base that kind of backs up your your position as far as in a small on a small scale not even on a larger scale so your say is based on your ability to like interact with the market because to have a true democracy um I mean liberal democracy is an interesting like uh 
compromise between a bunch of things. But to have a true direct democracy, let's say that you wanted to have a true direct democracy, like a lot of you know socialist anarchists and others really would be interested in having. When you really think about it, to enact true direct democracy requires totalitarianism to an extent. Like you have to have total control in order to enact the uh, outcome of the vote. But a, a, a bottom-up democracy would be basically more like a market democracy, and that requires the, the participants have something to back up their, uh, you know, more or less metaphorical vote. Right. I mean, I don't necessarily have an issue with, like, using democratic mechanisms for decision-making. Like, that's fine, right? But like you said, see, I've always made this point where it's, Either you force the outcome or it ceases to be democracy. Now, here's what I mean. So me, you, and uh, my lady and another friend, we all go out to dinner and we vote on where we want to go. And you all want Indian food. I don't want Indian food. So at the end of the day, I say, uh, will you guys outvote me? But I say, no, I'm. I, at that point, I can either make the decision to just agree with the majority and go along with it or I can go eat somewhere else. Now at that point, if I do not adhere to the outcome of that vote, does that cease to be democracy? And if, if it does, like for it to make, continue to be democracy, in my opinion, the three of you would have to force me to go to adhere to the outcome of that vote. Right. So at what point, like at what point does it cease to be democracy? And it just becomes like a poll, like a P O L L like a, an opinion poll. You know what I mean? Like, like if there is no mechanism to, um, enforce, ensure the outcome of that vote is adhered to, is it still democracy? Like, so say we're in a community, well, let's go larger with this. We're in a community and we're making decisions through direct democracy about things that affect all of us within that community. The majority votes on something. Now, the minority can choose to adhere to that vote or they can go do their own thing, right? Is that still democracy or is that at that point you're just seeing what everybody's opinion is, right? You know what I mean? Like it, um, to me, I think that, yeah, to some extent, I to think some extent that, that's exactly what that is. You're just, you know, any vote is basically seeing what people's opinion are. And if, if you, if you dare go against it pretty much, I right. Mean, but but is it still, is it still democracy if the minority doesn't actually adhere to the outcome? You see what I mean? Like this is where it gets yeah. fuzzy. But yeah, a lot of issues you can't just you can't just walk away. There's not a lot of issues that you vote on are a lot more a lot more complex and, and serious than whether you whether you go to dinner or not. Where you can easily sure, just, but I mean you could just go that that forty percent of people could just go form their own organization now, right? And say but we're doing again and again and again and again. Every time there's a difference in in, in some kind of big vote, or they know? go along with it, or they just say, well, it's not big a big enough of a deal, and we will just go along with it. That's probably why you would, because otherwise it just keeps happening every time you have a vote, pretty much. You know. Sure, but if it's something that people really care about, yeah. I, I just think that the moment that people 
the minority does not adhere to the outcome, it ceases to be democracy. Like it's just, unless somebody is forcing that minority to, to adhere to it, or they willingly go along with the outcome, I don't see how that's any longer democracy, right? Because it's not, the majority is not ruling, right? I I don't know. That's another, so this is almost a a whole different conversation. This is where, like, I don't have a problem with voting on things to to solve collective problems. Like, I don't necessarily inherently have a problem with that. Agreed, agreed. Right. I I often think the majority is often wrong. So I I don't think it's like a, like a, like a, cure-all i really it's not it's a very it's not a great way to to solve things because the majority is often very stupid right so yeah. uh, uh it and large groups often make poor decisions so I, I it doesn't seem to be i don't have the 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 um reverence for democracy that some anarchists might uh, that being said it can be a useful um decision-making tool on a small scale i I just uh i'm not completely sold on the concept of direct democracy but like i said i just don't know at what point does it stop being democracy if nobody's forcing the outcome if like the outcome is not adhered to is it democracy still you know what i mean like or is it now just like you guys asked everybody what their opinion was and then the you know (laughs) Everybody did what they were going to do anyway, you know, so it's, I, I don't know. But um, that being said, it can be very useful. And this is kind of where some right libertarians sort of drop the ball in the sense that I don't think that like everything being individual and privatized is realistic. There's going to be some like, and, and a lot of them will actually absolutely agree with this. They're not, they they understand this is there will be like communities and collective decision making and like collective action issues. And um, some of them really realize this, and some of them are a bit more ignorant to this. That in the sense that I think community organizations will play a, a very strong role in um, in lots of lots of uh, aspects aspects of our lives and our economic activity again i just want to go back to what what i've been saying several times in in this podcast is that there is no public private distinction so there is no difference between those things ultimately so of course you can't have some kind of world that only has what we would currently under under current legal conditions consider like private essentially you know private property as opposed to other sorts of it, because the, the distinction doesn't exist. And, and, and it's something that just to, just to kind of go off into a little bit of a tangent. So when I, when I say like that public private doesn't exist, I'm saying that like sometimes different levels of uh, different actions by different levels of government. And I think that's also important there can be to some extent, you know, what's for the best of society or for the collective or for the uh, public will, if there's a vote, or like, you know, or if it's best if it's a town government, I mean, they can be definitely doing something, you know, as a, as kind of like the town coming together. I'm not saying that's an absolutely completely 100% false narrative, but because I don't believe in a public-private distinction, I say, oh, well, this, these institutions, these state institutions ultimately are serving certain classes of people at the expense of the broader population. Because I'm not 
thinking of, of a public-private distinction here. Like, I'm not saying, oh, yes, the government is this special thing that normal rules don't apply to. But there isn't a public-private distinction. It's it's just an entity like any other. Right. Right. No, I agree. I agree. So I, I guess the thing is, is we have to build our own institutions, right? We need our – as much as we need, like – um to be producers, we also need to form organizations for, um, you know, sort of social services, right? Um, but also dispute resolution and security. Like we need all we need all of these things, and we need them like not later. We need them as soon as possible. We need to start building these things. And um, you know, right now um, we do a lot of like. Um, I guess they're not all homeless, but uh, we feed the the needy quite a bit. We do a lot of outreach around here, and um, the only the only um, like organization I could find doing that was it was it's a church based organization. Now we're not we're not religious, but um, you know I I think if that's what's in your area and that's what you'd like to do you know, have at it, but we need to, we need more of these situations, whether they're religious or non-religious, right? Um, more, you know, leaning on each other, more mutual, you know, mutual aid benefit societies, helping each other out. Um, and, you know, ig completely ignoring the, the local governments. And then you need to start building systems of governance amongst yourselves so like if you've got your local freedom cell you know try or 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 whatever you know try to form uh try to work on sort of like community outreach you know help the those in your area that are are um most uh needy and I need another cup of coffee. Most needy and um, but also to form your own sort of like dispute resolution organizations, however that works for you in and the people that are involved with that and the people in your area. Right. Um, how how do we resolve conflict and disputes? And, you know, what does that look like? And if we can have a like a, a million different experiments in this now that i mean more the better right so how do we do, do you know make decisions as a collective with you know without the state and without violence and just just go do it and i think these things if we can get them ironed out now will be immensely important going forward um you know as society progresses um because there might come a time where you just you no longer have local govern or local government or government services for a lot of things you're seeing that happen already you know, like you know cops aren't coming for theft of under a thousand dollars so maybe we need to find our you know build our own security and our own conflict resolution and this already kind of exists amongst drug dealers and stuff right but it's very usually very violent but they have their own mediators oftentimes like i've seen this happen where there was a a dispute between a drug dealer and somebody that bought like a shit ton of whatever. And they had like a third party sit down and 
and hash it out because you know they can't go to the cops right so this art like already exists we just need we need this for all things right um in addition to like building uh up our own skills and building our the skills of our community and producing more for ourselves we need all these sort of market adjacent organizations you got thoughts on that yeah no i agree i mean those uh those kind of institutions again uh no matter what form they take and may may a thousand flowers bloom i mean those are necessary for like the you know the functioning of a free society and um free exchange and human flourishing so yeah uh you know it, it, it you know i don't know what to, i don't know what to say yeah I, I actually totally agree on that i'm nothing to add yeah we, we need to have those institutions um the question is do you have them i guess before they uh concurrently i guess with the institutions that you wish to replace and um i think they i guess would arise before uh, a, a collapse of the state if that's even an accurate description of what would or will happen which i'm not entirely sure that's the case but yeah you you start thinking about these things now of course and i think we're doing really good work um theorizing about these things and bringing up like all the you know authors that we're familiar with in this right and you know it might not happen in the sense of like a total collapse right but you might see like a I don't know if you'd call it a slow collapse, right? Like it's kind of like some of the examples I just mentioned, where like, you know, fuck cop, can't can't enforce like certain things anymore because there's just too much for them to do. Or I mean, if the collapse is slow enough and not really catastrophic, it's hardly a collapse. It's it's at some point it could be something that's not catastrophic, and maybe that maybe sticking to the a degrading maybe is a better word. You know it, could I mean? be a tra- it could be a transformation or at worst a degrading it could, maybe that's that's optimistic but i mean i don't know uh i'm not i'm not holding myself to just like tearing stuff down and and, and you know storming the capital and, and, right, and right. storming the um I'm, I'm thinking of like taliban you know storming the provincial capitals and everything and, and is tearing down the thing i don't know that that's at all what occurs you know what i mean i i, oh, I mean that's that's not really what i'm getting at i'm more getting at like okay so what can we do to set up this parallel society number one but number two what can we do to solve exist you know problems that exist in our material reality and problems that you know will exist for people in the material reality in the future you know as our society sort of progresses in whatever way that is. I don't see, I don't see the state getting more responsive and, and filling people's needs. I see it happening. I would assume that it would happen like less, it would be less beneficial to people. So what can we do to sort of solve these material, um material these these problems in in our material reality and the future the material reality of the future right it's kind of what i'm getting at i'm not saying that like we need to build these things to collapse the state or because the state is collapsing i'm just saying that like these are problems that exist and that 
the state often, you know, is at least purportedly there to solve certain problems. So what if we, you know, what can we do to set up our own, you know, sort of institutions and organizations and relationships that can solve these problems in the inevitable event that, you know, one, we want to see a parallel society, but two, like, I don't see the, 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 the state getting better at providing these services, right. You know, like whether that's welfare or um, security or any of these things. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally agree. And um, people were definitely working in every single one of these um, like subcategories of what we're talking about. There are people that are doing work there and there's things that people are either doing or they could do or can do. Um, but they could do, they could expand a lot more in the absence of, of like, in the absence of um, competent, you know, existing ins versions of existing institutions. So in, in a reality where those institutions degrade, I think a, we can look at like historically, a lot of these things just simply existed. And there's a, there's at least a blueprint from history of like a track record of these things working, but, also, there's people working in all of these spaces, like guaranteed all of these things. Um, I don't know if you can find an exception to in certain things that are just to so totally state uh, dominated. I would suspect those are the things that probably don't need to be um, need to go forward in any real capacity. But like, uh, yeah, there's there's people working in in terms of the uh, like mutual aid networks and and uh, social responsibility and and um, everything every single kind of institution and service that state institutions provide and state is keep in mind these are fully separate tentacles of the state in many cases like the dispute resolution so the legal system that is a pretty it's a part of the state but it's another branch of it it's something that does exist somewhat as its own as its own thing with with its connections to the, the 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 center but that's something that doesn't obviously we know this doesn't require a state to uh exist to perform those functions right but, so, so but there's people working in uh, so that's an also an example of a place where you're not exactly having people directly doing the same thing and working in in, in, in projects that are kind of pushing in this realm but also there's tons of legal theorizing and stuff that can fill in the gaps in that. But even when it comes to dispute resolution and arbitration and um, like people that are using technology to implement smart contracts and this and various different I ideas like that to kind of revolutionize, you know, whether it's contract law or property or, or and stuff like that. I, I think there's, there's someone, there's an example, there's some great examples in, every single category of like people that are trying to that are that are in hindsight going to be seeing as like people they were on the cutting edge even if they hit a dead end like on the cutting edge of where this is going with the technology as it is existing going forward in the future into like the next the next and next and next iterations of like the digital the digital age you know so like obviously we can talk about you know cryptocurrency bitcoin as one thing but there's people that are using either like blockchain technology or completely unrelated technologies to do all sorts of things um and even social technologies like we've talked about restorative or the other word 
something restorative Trans justice transformative, transformative justice yeah. okay yeah. well there's people yeah there's people so there's people actually working in that space and you you've got to be working in the it, this is like social sciences this is like soft stuff but also you can't you can't actually like out compete the uh courts without having the sin of the courts which is fine because like plenty of people in the courts i'm sure want to make things more just and help people i don't doubt that at all you know what i mean but in other realms that are less heavily dominated um and actually i guess finance is a pretty heavily regulated thing but in every realm wherever possible there are people i think um pioneering these things and providing the blueprint of what will come around in the future i think inevitably with the progression of technology and the direction of scaling because you got to understand we're seeing iterations of technology but there is a hard break from like the digital revolution and new iterations of digital technology like like things are possible in the world that we talk about things are possible in in terms of institutions like self-governing institutions or self self-enforcing contracts and stuff like that that simply it's hard to it takes part of the human or part of like the human um human powered institutional elements out of those things and um allows things to be fully distributed in terms of not just like distributed production but distributed power if that makes any sense yeah. so i think technology is a huge part of of this stuff even if we sometimes like roll our eyes at it which we do yeah i mean the tech is there and and i'm all for that too but it could also be very sort of ad hoc and low tech on a, like a local community level even in terms of current um uh financial instruments like it doesn't have to be crypto you could have local labor notes or a you know, local currency that you guys just made up in your own in your garage and start using that and that's happened tons of times like there's been a lot of like really popular local currencies and even with in terms of dispute resolution you can even have you know social pressure in a community is a hell of a thing so it doesn't have to be like smart contracts which i'm all for like i, I think that's a, a a great idea for a lot of things but certain communities might go a different route and it could be very like sort of low tech and you you kind of cobble it together through you know the needs of people in the in community as those kind of arise and it could be more of like a like i said an ad hoc or um type of situation where these things form right you know this goes for dispute resolution but this also goes for like even mutual aid or fraternal fraternal mutual aid societies benefit societies you know you start a problem arises and then people you know build these things as they're necessary right so um you're right the tech has allowed for a lot of these things to be very easy but you know also it doesn't require you to be to be super high tech either like the, like you said a lot no. of these are sort of social technologies you know just the ability to to um to, to organize and and have basic sort of um what do you call it um you know basic dispute resolution and 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 agree on terms in a reciprocal manner you know but where like things maybe didn't take off in the past for whatever reason i think maybe even technology could at least help like lubricate that and make sure make it doable it'll make, make it, it easy, a lot easier in certain circumstances for sure because you have to say like certain things 
might, we might have examples of them. It might have been really popular, but like, you know, you certainly might at least have an easier job or might actually make things work that couldn't be have been made work in the past because of uh, technology. Just things are easier, low cost, less transaction costs, you know? Right, right. Okay, well, we well, should probably start yes. wrapping up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> about that time. About that time. But I would just say, I think the theme, like I, I think we went over the, the, the differences between um, the themes in um, agorism and community technology. But I would say, if anything, to take away anything from this particular conversation, it's more to define yourself by what you were for and to to actually do in the real world the positive attributes you'd like to see in a future society. So just make it happen now. Just go do it. And it doesn't have to be like a huge project. Just, just start small. So you'd like to see people not go hungry or homeless in a future society, right? Well, just go start making sandwiches. Like, become that positive influence in your community is possibly the most important thing that we can do, whether that is in terms of charity or production or any of these things. And, you know, the, define yourselves as that, what you would like to see and what you're doing rather than what you're against. But that being said, you have anything else to say before we wrap it up? Yeah, sorry, I was muted there. Uh, yeah, no, well said, well said. I, I think, again, yeah, that's what we've kind of done from the beginning. I think we've really kind of put forth, like, prescriptions and, like, our possibilities at the very least. I mean, I wouldn't say prescriptions, but possibilities, ideas, and things that we can kind of be for and not against. So, I mean, we really want to look at, I don't know. I don't want to define like who our uh, competition is or really talk about them, you know, as far as podcasts, but just, I think something that we bring to the table is that we are always mainly staying positive and we're not just ranting about some people or politicians that pissed us off. And that, that's really great. I love it. I think we had a very fruitful discussion. I'm glad we um, did and decided to record today. And um, I welcome everybody to uh, discuss this in our, uh, in our telegram chat and our discord and, and anything else and also uh interact with us on twitter we really appreciate it yeah uh what's the twitter handle for the podcast agora underscore sorry agora underscore pod yep and i'm sec magora on twitter and uh yeah the the telegram group is agora the podcast and you can also find it on discord under the same name and what's your twitter handle um sapient corvid That's sapient right. underscore corvid but it's, it's on the um it's on the agora pod That's uh, right. as well i think it's you up there but yeah right on yeah come and reach out um i i've been getting a little bit more interaction from some of our guests so that's good i i like that and um yeah reach out to us at any time and um everybody be excellent to each other all right take care peace
I want.